Yeah, we're going to look at a message this morning called More. And uh, you'll see as uh, we're in our text why we're calling it More. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Luke 11. Uh, we'll also put the verses up on the overhead if you want to. Sometimes it's just nice to follow along that way too. And uh, Luke 11, verse 1, it came to pass as he, as Jesus was praying in a certain place when he ceased that uh, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So it's interesting what this uh, disciple was able to observe. And I think it was probably representing all of the uh, disciples that, that they were realizing that everything was flowing out of Jesus's prayer life. It's kind of interesting. They didn't say, Lord, teach us to walk on water. They didn't say, Lord, teach us to preach. They didn't say, teach us to do that endless buffet type thing, you know, that unlimited fish and bread. They didn't ask for any of those things. They said, teach us to pray. I think this disciple realized that. All of them did. Everything was flowing out of Jesus' prayer life. And we want to observe that. We want to learn that. That's the way we want to live is that, you know, everything is flowing out of our intimacy with God and walking with God and praying with God. The decisions we're making in our marriage are flowing out of prayer. The decisions we're making for our family and, and in business and in church community, that, that there's a vibrant prayer life. That, that is what we see uh, in Luke's gospel in Jesus' life. And then we read verse 2. He said to them, when you pray, so you, you want to uh, learn how to pray, I'm going to teach you. When you pray... Probably most of us are familiar with this. Say, our Father in heaven. And I'm going to ask that, you know, just for a minute, would you just, in your own heart, or maybe just soft enough that only you can hear it, I'd like you to pray, and just in in a minute, and I'd like you to say a prayer this morning that has uh, the heart of, Father, I'm taking my eyes off of everyone else and everything else. And I'm putting them on you. So why don't you just do that? Your own heart of hearts. You can pray it quietly. Just our Father in heaven. That's my heart being at church today. I want to put my eyes on you. Might take a minute for you to really want your eyes off of somebody or something that really it's hard to get your eyes off of. But why don't you just purpose to, Father, my eyes are on you. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Or hallowed just means holy. That's the worship service going on in heaven, right? Holy, holy, holy. So let's enter into that worship service like the angels sing. And why don't with your own breath, again, in your own heart, maybe just loud enough for for, uh, you to hear your your own voices, why don't you just start to enter into that worship and, and just say holy, Maybe even like the angels, just say, holy, holy, holy. Might, might take a minute for you to like, okay, wait, I'm at church and I'm being asked to do something. No, this is between you and God. I just pray that, holy, 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 for the throne of God. Holy, holy, holy. And the, uh, Jesus went on to teach us, your kingdom come. Don't you pray that? It's not in a, in a way that it doesn't mean anything, but why don't you really try to enter in just loud enough that you can hear or in your heart, God, I want your kingdom to come to my life. I want your kingdom to come. I want, and then just move, I want your will to be done. 
Let's just camp there for a minute. God, I want your will. Father, I want your will done on earth. I I don't want my will done in heaven. I want your will done here on earth. Just pray that. God, Father, I want your will. I want to walk in it. And and now before we move on, I I want to take you back to the slide that says our father, maybe the text up on the screen. It's interesting how many uh, years I've prayed this, known this, read this, studied this, probably like you. Many of you could probably quote the whole prayer. But isn't it interesting that uh, it's easy how we can get so lost in the really big details like father, heaven, forgive me my debts, forgive others. That's huge daily bread I need, and, and the evil one. Those are all like re- temptation. Those are all really big subjects. And I think sometimes we can miss out on some of the very small details like our. We're not to pray my Father in heaven. I, I kind of do just pray it that way. Like when I'm praying our Father in heaven, if I'm riding my bike or walking or sitting in a chair, I'm, I, I might say our Father, but I'm really, I really mean my Father But isn't it interesting that it's our, and look down in verse 3, it's not give me, it's give us day by day our bread. Verse 4, forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but over and over, you see it? It's, It's plural, deliver us from the evil one, so easily missed. And And what we see here is that Jesus is teaching us to pray in community, I believe, you know, God is community. When I say that, you know what I mean. God, God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he's teaching us to pray together. I think what we're seeing here is how powerful it is for us to pray for each other and with each other. It's powerful to pray alone. You go down to the beach, you sit, you pray, our Father in heaven. That's powerful. But when you're praying with others, that seems to be what Jesus is teaching here. When you're praying for others, it's tremendously powerful. And let's read a little further, Luke 11, 5. He said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence. You want to learn how to pray? I'm going to teach you how to pray together, and you're going to persist in prayer. Because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. We're going to learn more about what... Jesus is teaching about persistence in prayer, verse 9. And what we see here, we don't see in the English language, but I'll try to help you see what the Greek language says. So I say to you, I'm going to teach you about persistent prayer. Ask. Or in the Greek language, it's keep asking. And it'll be given you. Seek. You've got to keep seeking and you'll find. Knock, keep knocking, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, keeps asking, receives. He who seeks, you keep seeking, you'll find. To him who keeps knocking, it will be opened to him. So why do we need to persist in prayer? I mean, is he God? 
Doesn't he, didn't he hear me the first time? Is there a problem? I, I, I have to keep telling him? Does he want me to grovel? Does he somehow enjoy like me just asking over and over and over, please, 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 please? Does he enjoy that when I grovel like that? And of course the answer is no. But the, the right answer is God, and I think you instinctively know this, God is in the waiting. Have you found that to be true? God is in the waiting. We always wish God would answer our prayers right now, but it's so often when he doesn't answer our prayers, he starts working. He starts sanctifying us. It's amazing how when God's not answering our prayer, he has our attention and he begins to work in our lives. And as he doesn't answer, it's amazing how our prayers change. Like what we're praying at first begins to morph. And, and we start praying for our will to be done in heaven. As I, as I wanted to be on earth, let my will be done in heaven. And we, we, as we keep praying and God has an answer, we start to shift more and more, asking for his will in heaven to be done on earth. And our prayer begins to change. Uh, sometimes at the beginning of our prayers, we're praying, Lord, I need, a, I need a lighter load. I need a lighter load. And as we keep praying, God shifts us to be praying, Lord, give me a stronger back. Give me a stronger back. And, and God sanctifies us in prayer. And uh, so often, God is in the waiting in that it's a timing issue. That's why we've got to keep asking. Now, sometimes the answer is no, right? And I, I don't know why it encourages me to, so much to see Paul struggling. Apostle Paul, he's on his second missionary journey. He's going a, across modern-day Turkey, and he tries to go uh, down to Phrygia, and the Holy Spirit says, no, you're forbidden to go there. Like, no. So he tried to go north, up into Bithynia, and the Holy Spirit forbid him. No. I don't know why that's so encouraging to me to see Paul struggle, because I'm so often struggling. And so what does Paul do? He's coming from the east. He can't go south. He can't go north. He just keeps going to Troas. He has a vision, and the Lord speaks to him and says, go to Macedonia, and now's the right timing. Paul goes immediately, and the first church is planted in Europe. God had a plan. It was no, it was no, I, I have something else. And, and you know what happens as we, as we persist in prayer, when the timing is right, we'll be lined up with God. You know, one of my uh, favorite scriptures is John 7, 6. I've been praying it for years. I've been studying it for years. I've, I, I wouldn't say maybe praying it for years. It's influenced my prayer life for years. Because Jesus said, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. Does that describe you? Like, I'm always ready. God, let's move now. Let's do it now. Like, I'm ready. We moved to Oregon. I was 29 years old. We met a senior center. Uh, now we're on 50-some acres overlooking our city in an outdoor amphitheater with hundreds of year old oak trees and a baptismal and, a, and all, on and on and on. But you know what? When I was 29, I was ready for that now. Let's do it. Like, I'm not getting any younger. God, let's move. Let's, let's get this train rolling. And you know what the answer was? No, not yet. Lord, just three acres of pavement next to Safeway. That's all we want. Three acres. How hard is three acres next to Safeway for you, Lord? No. Can we get a realtor? No. Can we have a committee? No. Can we? No. Just wait, 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 
Wait, not yet, not yet, not yet. Now, look, look what I had for you. This is the lesson for our whole church. We sit out in the amphitheater on the 50 acres, and we look like, oh, look what God had in his heart. I, I would have settled for three acres next to Safeway. Well, one time I taught a pastor's conference, and the guy came up. He said, hi, I'm Mike. He goes, our, our church is on three acres next to Safeway. <laughs> I'm like, sorry, Mike. <laughs> you know, one time I rode my bike over. There's a mountain bike trail from our house to our church. And I was laying under one of those big oak trees. No one was there. And the Lord just said, how, how are we doing? How, what else can I do for you? What, do you like it? You like it? Like, like I had it for you all along. But it, it was a timing issue. And, and so we do persist in prayer. So that when God's ready to move, we're ready to move. But also we learn in this great teaching that uh, persisting in prayer is connected to the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're talking about this morning. And we read on in verse 11, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, are you going to give him some gravel? Here you go, son. Here's some gravel from the parking lot. Chew on it. Like, no, you would never give your son a stone. If he asked for a tuna fish sandwich, are you going to give him a serpent? Like, here, son, you're wanting something so good to nourish you and feed you. Here, take this serpent. Be careful it doesn't bite you. Like, no, you'd, no, no dad, no good dad would ever give his son a serpent. If he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? In this day and age, the scorpions would roll up in a little white ball, and they look like eggs. And Jesus is saying, if your son wants an egg, he's hungry, are you going to go, here, son, here, put your hand out. Here's a scorpion. Like, it's, it's going to sting you. And, and so the imagery is um, quite vivid that no, no father would do that. And you know what? You're going to learn when you're opening yourself up to the Holy Spirit, when you're wanting more of the Holy Spirit, God is not going to let anything weird happen to you. Some churches are weird. It's sad. The further you get away from the Bible, sometimes the weirder groups get. And we don't want to be weird, but we do want all of the Holy Spirit that God has for us. We don't want any less than all that God wants to do in us and through us. And so he says, then, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, here, here's why we're calling it more. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And the, the Greek language is that you would keep asking him. That you would continually be asking the Father for a greater and greater work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Never stop asking for the Spirit of God to work in your life in greater and greater ways. So um, Luke shows us this connection all through the book of Luke and into the Acts, which Luke wrote. He shows us the connection between prayer and the Holy Spirit. We see it here. If you ask, the Father will give you the Holy Spirit. It's prayer. We see it in Acts. In Acts 1-5, we read uh, Jesus as telling the apostles that uh, John would immerse people in the Jordan River in water. And not many days from now, you're going to be baptized. Baptized means immersed. You're going to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. And then he tells them in verse 8 what that's going to look like. You shall receive power. This dynamic or dynamite power 
When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be literally martyrs to me. There'll be such power in your life, you'll be willing to die for Jesus if that was asked of you. You know, that's a church that can't be stopped. You can't stop that church on earth when people are willing to die for Jesus. He died for you, and he wants by the Spirit to give you power to be a powerful witness that will reach your Jerusalem, your Judea, your Samaria, and the the ends of the world. And so what we see here is, is he's talking to them, what we want to understand, and I, this, this is, I think, so important. The only way they were going to be able to reach their world was by the power of the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't you think guys that had been with Jesus for three years, like, no, these, these guys can do it. Mentored by Jesus, saw all the miracles, trained by him, walked with him, ate with him, right? Constant access to him. We're ready. It's been three years. Let's go. We'll take the world. And the Lord says, no, you've you got to wait. You, you can't do it apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way you're going to reach your community and your county and your state and the world. And that would just be a great question to ask yourself. Is there power in your life? Is the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you? Like, I'm not talking just like church song talk. Like, really, is there power in your life? Is there power to make a saving impression upon others? When you look back now at uh, January through March, do you see that people were being saved? There's power in your life and people are getting saved. You're reaching the world. When you look back at last year, you look back at the wake behind the boat, do you see the people that came to Christ through you? Maybe you need, maybe, maybe you're here. Maybe God is wanting to do a work where he pours out his spirit on you in a way like this, that there's power, that that's been lacking in your life. And, at, well, we read a little bit further there in Acts, Acts 1.14, and these all with one mind, Jesus told them to wait, so now they're waiting for it. They were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the, the women. Jesus had women followers, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers, they're, they're all there. Luke is showing us the connection between prayer and the Holy Spirit. Pentecost is about to happen. It's as they prayed that Pentecost happened. The Holy Spirit was poured out and there was rushing wind. Remember Acts 2? Man, we need that. We need that wind. We need fresh wind of the Spirit. Prayer is connected to that wind blowing. I like to think of myself as like I, I'm standing on the word of God like, like a kite surfer. Like my board is the word of God and I'm, my feet are locked into the loops and I'm standing on the word and nothing's going to take me away from the word. But then the spirit is when we hoist our sail, our kite, up into the wind. And the wind drives us. It's not just the word or the spirit, right? We love the word of God. We stand on the word of God. Nothing can take us away from that. But then we got to learn how to hoist our kite and catch the wind of the spirit. That's the most exciting part of following the Lord is being led and driven by the Holy Spirit. And, you know, it was prayer that led to this rushing mighty wind. It was prayer that led to their tongues being set on fire from heaven. 
We need our tongues to be set on fire from heaven. We need that power. That there's fire in our lives. There's boldness in our lives. So, you know, when you see Pentecost, and then I I don't know how much time goes by, but Luke shows us it might have been weeks, it might have been months. And, And by the way, those who were in that prayer meeting, they already had the Holy Spirit in them at Pentecost. John 20 says that in the upper room, Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive you the Holy Spirit. So you tell me what happens when Jesus looks at you and breathes on you and says, Receive you the Holy Spirit. I'm pretty sure they receive the Holy Spirit. And yet they're waiting for more in Jerusalem. They're waiting for that power that he talked about. Then that happened. Pentecost happened. Now it's a couple of weeks, couple of months later. Look at Acts 4. What are they doing again? They know where to go. They know where the power is. They're praying together. And the place where they were assembled was shaken. Because prayer, prayer together, corporate prayer. What, you want to hear the most exciting thing that, in, that, that I get to pastor in Corvallis? 28 years ago, Rob abandoned me there in Oregon. <laughs> I have abandonment issues since, ever since that day, but I'm healing. No, I'm just teasing. You know what happened 28 years ago? We started a prayer meeting on Saturday night. For 28 years, there's been a continuous Saturday night prayer meeting. Last, last Saturday night, 100 people were at prayer. And life just pulsing. 28 years, just finished 14 years of prayer and fasting weeks. And I know you guys are doing that now, and you, you, you felt it. You sensed it. You, you experienced the power of corporate prayer and fasting. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. They had already been baptized with the Holy Spirit, but they prayed together and they assembled together. The place they were assembled together was shaken. When, when people pray, God moves. Things are shaken that man can't shake. And that's, that's prayer. And they were, we read it again. They had already had been baptized at Pentecost, but they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness, power and boldness. That's when the Holy Spirit's working in your life and the rest of your life you want to be praying for a greater work of the Spirit, greater power, greater boldness. Have you arrived? Do you have all the gifts God wants you to have? I, I, I don't think so. Have I received have all the gifts God wants me to have? I don't think so. Is it possible for God to even give us the same gifts with even greater anointing? I think so. Let, let's keep asking. And, you know, look at this next verse. We'll pull it up uh, just in this whole theme of more. Acts 8. Verse 14, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for as yet he had fallen on none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Here's what's happening. Persecution hits Jerusalem. How many of us want persecution? Right, but God was in it. God is in what the enemy means for evil. And instead of staying where it was comfortable, Philip had to go. He was pushed out of the nest. 
And he ended up in uh, Samaria, and uh, they start heeding the things he's speaking. People are getting saved. People are repenting. People are getting baptized in water in the name of the Lord Jesus. But then Jerusalem, here's what's going on. They, they hear, wow, this, these awesome, awesome salvations are going on, but the Holy Spirit hasn't yet fallen upon them in that powerful Pentecost way like we've experienced so let's send two of the really big wigs. Let's send, you know, Peter and John and send them down. And they went down, verse 17, and they lay, uh, laid hands on them. And they received the Holy Spirit. Interesting. Believers, already baptized, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the name of Jesus. But it was through the laying on of hands that that power came. Now, I love this story, but I also love another story of the Apostle Paul when it's not the really big guys from the Jerusalem church. It's just some guy named Ananias. We don't even know who Ananias is. Just an ordinary guy that the Lord says, Ananias, you go lay hands on Saul of Tarsus. And he was like, "Uh, (laughs) I heard a lot about that guy. I don't know. (laughs) Trust me, Ananias. I am blessing you. Like all church history is going to remember you. And he didn't even know it, right? But it's just some ordinary guy laid hands on Saul. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a little bit, I'm going to have all your leaders from the church come up. All the way across the front. And um, we're going to worship more. And we're going to let the leaders of your church lay hands on you. Pray for you. I I was... um, Saved at Calvary Costa Mesa, and, and there was a season I was, um, before I was on staff there, I was living up in Los Angeles, and I got to go to a church uh, called Church on the Way, Jack Hayford's church. I don't know if any of you know that name, and a um, wonderful man of God. He died recently, but he, um, their church just seemed to give more place to the Holy Spirit than I experienced at Calvary Costa Mesa. God, God bless Pastor Chuck and leaders who they are. Leaders kind of swing on these pendulums, it seems like. If there's abuses of the gifts, then people, churches swing way over here where it's very safe and not much is happening. And then at times they wake up and they swing. And I, over the years, I watched Pastor Chuck. I watched him when he wrote the book, Holy Spirit. He came all the way back over. And, you know, and I think we, we act and overreact. And for whatever reason, at that season, Chuck was just faithfully teaching the word, the word, the word, the word, which I'm just forever grateful for. But... God let me go up to a church where they had the Word and the Spirit. And I was like, wow, this is powerful. And, and after the service, they had their leaders up front that people could lay, they would lay hands on you. And they said, whoever wants to come, I'm like, I'm, I'm going, man. I want that. And I went up, and this 60, 65 year old man, just very gentle, just laid his hands on me, began to pray for me in English, and then pray for me in the Spirit. And then I began to pray out in, in tongues. I prayed, and then I thought, oh, oh, I'm, make, I'm making that up. Oh, I'm just trying to be extra spiritual. I'm sorry, Lord. Like, and he prayed for me, and it's all good. But those words, it's so funny. It's like 30-some years later. I still know the first three words I prayed, or if those are three, I don't know. And, um, and I just thought, okay, I'm not, that's weird. It's so weird. I'm not praying that ever again. Sorry, Lord, for even trying to be too spiritual. And, and, um, and God, you know, was working in my life. And lo and behold, um, I became the high school pastor at uh, Costa Mesa. 
And I was going to teach my first Bible study to all these high school kids. Never taught a day in my life. I'm an evangelist. I never even dreamed that God could give someone like me a gift of teaching. And on that first night was going to start, and I was out in that probably an hour and a half before out walking along the school buses in the parking lot, just scared to death to face 150, 200 high school kids. And guess what words came out? Just like a flood. Just pray. I mean, I was so scared to death. I was just praying and praying and praying and praying and Oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. I went in, I taught that night, and I remember I woke up the next morning, and I bet, can I still, can I still pray like that? Like, you know, pray and say, whoa, there's like, whoa, what has happened? Like, and this morning's not really just about the gift of tongues. Tongues is just one gift. But, you know, we want to be churches that have all of the word. We don't, it doesn't have to be either or. Man, we are locked in. Nothing's moving us. I'm standing on the word of God. It's my foundation. But to learn to hoist the sail to the wind, that is, that is the life you want to live. And we're going to give opportunity for your leaders to lay hands on you. Listen to what um, Paul told young Pastor Timothy. I, I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I'm sure that it is in you as well. It's interesting that uh, Paul brings this up. And I'd like us to stop here for a minute. And if you have a godly mother or a godly father, would you just say their name on your lips loud enough that you can hear it yourself? Just say their name. You have a godly father. Say his name. A godly mother. Say it out loud so you can hear yourself. If you have a godly grandmother or grandfather, say their name out loud. Say it out loud so you can hear it. Timothy had this, and I think Paul, in a sense, was making Timothy aware that he's going to be standing on their shoulders. Many of us are standing on the shoulders of our parents' faith. I so, don't you want that for your kids? I don't want my kids to just have like, oh, I'm so happy they just have about 60% of what I have. At least they have 60%. No, I want them to stand on my shoulders. I want to push them higher and further than I could ever go with the Lord. You know, many services I'm at church, I pray for my kids while this service is going on. Many prayer meetings, I'm praying for my kids. Many serve prayer meetings. I'm praying for, you know, my, my kids' spouses. We've been praying for our kids' spouses since the day they were born. Let me tell you, when you marry your daughter off, marry both my daughters off to super godly men, two of the greatest days of my life, seeing how God answered those prayers. But Timothy had this godly heritage, but he goes on to tell him, verse 6, For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh or it could be translated, to fan into flames the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So it was through the laying on of hands that Paul's disciple Timothy received a gift. And, and Paul was telling Timothy, Timothy, it's important that you don't let that, that you don't neglect that gift. It's important that our gifts don't lie dormant. 
Right? Often in churches, there's more people with dormant gifts that are just kind of, they're laying there just a very, very, it's there, but it's just a very small smolder. That's all that's there. Can, can you imagine just for a minute what Calvary Vista would be if everybody's gift was fanned into flames? If everybody here was using their gift and it was on fire and God was giving new gifts that you've never had before? Well, we're going we're gonna to lay hands on you today and we're going to believe God to fan the flames. Some of you don't even know what your gift is. We're going to pray that God will give you a gift. We're going to pray that God gives you new gifts. We're going to pray the gifts you do have will, will be in operation and even greater anointing. And there's just a verse or two left, and then I'm going to have um, your leaders come up. In fact, the worship team, they can come up. And in just a minute, I'm going to call for all your leaders to come up. Look at Romans 8.26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. Feel weak? That's when the Spirit moves. You know what I love about this verse so much is um, there's a Greek word picture that goes with this helping that we can't see in the English. And it's the picture of someone coming alongside another that's just got a huge weight on them and they're just burdened. And, and the, somebody comes along another and takes that weight off them. A lot of Christians came in today. Hi, brother. Wait. Oh, yep. Yeah, we're doing well. You know, you just got huge burdens on you. Things you're not meant to be carrying. And the Holy Spirit wants to lift it off you. He wants to carry that. The, the word speaks of, he helps us, uh, weaknesses speaks of physical weaknesses, emotional weaknesses, spiritual weaknesses. Maybe emotionally you need the Holy Spirit to stabilize you. Maybe spiritually you need the Holy Spirit to take that heavy burden off you. Or physically you need a, a touch from the Lord. And then I'm just going to show you one last uh, verse and we're going to have the, the leaders come. It's in Ezekiel, it's a prophecy of salvation, and the prophecy goes like this. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you, and I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. That's salvation. That's being born again. That's becoming a new creation in Christ. God takes out that stony, rock-hard, stubborn heart. You're saved. He gives you a new, tender, to the things of God, responsive heart. You know, it would be a good question for you to ask yourself, has that happened to me? Is that maybe why I'm here? Is it possible you're here that God is ready to take out the rock-hard stubborn, that stubborn heart that's been in you all these years, he's going to take it out and put a tender, responsive heart in you? You know, if you've been saved, you know, you're like, that's it, man, tender, tender to the things of God. 
responsive. You know, you might, might think, yeah, um, I'm not going to be able to do it. I, I mean, I, I'm not going to be able to do it. I'm not going to be able to live that life. That, I, I, can't, I can't be good like that. I can't. I'm not going to be able to be this type of religious person or, or, or Christian like you're talking about. Look at the next verse. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. It's not you. You're right. You can't do it. You're going to fail. But when God changes your heart, it's a work from the inside. I was telling a girl last night, we got dinner, and I, I walked out, and I was talking to our hostess, and I was telling her about my salvation, and, and she was like, wow, what happened to you? And, and I said, well, you know, um, I, I used to use the F word in every sentence, F, 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 that, F, that, F, you, F, them, F, 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 and tool, F, and truck, F, 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 everything. That's how I talked. I was an electrician, and I got saved. And I went to work that week, and about two-thirds of the way through the week, my boss said, okay already, I feel bad. What, are you going to church every night, and they're taking classes telling you not to cuss anymore? And I went, oh, my gosh, I don't cuss anymore. <laughs> like, my heart has changed. Like, whoa, I don't want to cuss anymore. I don't want to get high anymore. I don't want to be immoral anymore. I don't want to steal. I don't want to lie. Uh, that's Oh, how wonderful. There's only one truth. I only got to remember one truth now. I've been remembering all the different versions of who I got to tell what to. That's, a, that's exhausting. No wonder we have so much peace. There's just one truth. Anyone ask you, just tell them one truth. That's what, what happened. I don't have to remember what, what the truth is for you. I just now live honest. Maybe, maybe that's never happened, or maybe you're a believer that somehow you've lost that tenderness. Like, yeah, Rob, I am saved, but calcification. I don't know what's happened, but my heart's hard. I've lost that tenderness. I've lost that responsiveness. Why don't we have the leaders come up?